night. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. How you doing? Good. Happy New Year. Um, man, I know with this crew, there were a bunch of ragers going on last night, but I'm really, really glad that you're here. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles to Acts 8, we'll be looking at Acts 8, 26 through 40. Uh, but before we get started there, uh, just a few things. Um, does anyone have any New Year's resolutions kind of have to do with studying the Bible, reading the Bible, learning more about the Bible? Anyone have anything? You? You got it? You quit? Oh my goodness. All right. Anyone else? Anyone got any uh, New Year's resolutions about the Bible? Don't be shy. Studying the Bible. I got a book for you if you do. Anyone? No one. I'm not going to give you a book if you don't. Right. Sarah, you got one? Studying the Bible. This is a book, Inductive Bible Study, uh, by uh, uh, Andreas Kostenberger. Uh, so this will be for you. We'll put it right here. You just grab it whenever you get a chance. Anyone else? Master Plan of Evangelism. Anyone have any goals? Just learning more about evangelism? All right, Robert. Here you go, brother. All right. Man, it's going to be with you guys. All right. And that actually has to do with what we're going to be looking at this morning as we dig into Acts 8, 26 through 40. Um, so no doubt uh, many of you have New Year's resolutions, things that you are hoping uh, to, to do, take more vitamins, lose 10 pounds, uh, so on and and so forth, and it's good to set measurable goals and, and to, to have discipline and, and, and goals and, and be resolved to, to pursue those things. But what I want to look at this morning are some kind of resolutions that I want us to have as a community together. Uh, some kind of resolutions that, that I want to see, disciplines that I want us to strive for as a, as a community. And this is a standalone sermon, it's not a part of a series or anything like that. So if you're a guest this morning, it's kind of some in-house stuff that we're dealing with. So uh, please bear with us and, and hopefully you can receive from the Lord this morning. But we're just going to get really practical, kind of give us some, some specific things to pursue together as followers of Jesus. So we're going to dig into to Acts 8, 26-40. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word. Let's read and listen with reverence and joy. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go, over, join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from you. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. 
And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we ask this morning that you would prepare our hearts to receive from you, that you would open our ears and, and open our eyes uh, to see and hear Jesus. Lord, would you um, comfort those who need comforted? Would you convict those who need to be convicted? Lord, would you draw us to Jesus to find all of our comfort and to find power to live into what we're convicted of. We need you. We're, we're helpless without you. We're weak. We're worthless. We're, we can do nothing apart from you. So would you work in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, so on election day, a few months ago, Amy and I went out to vote. And this is like a whole ordeal for us now uh, that we have kids. You know, we have to pack the kids into the car, pack the whole family into the car. We go vote, and we take turns doing that, and, and uh, so that the other one can stay in the car with the kids, and, and then it, it was this whole ordeal, the whole morning. And then we went back uh, to the house, and, and um, as we were getting the kids out of the car, we witnessed a small car accident in front of our house. Uh, it, it, we live on a rather busy road where, where people drive entirely too fast, uh, and so this is not really uh, all that uncommon. Uh, but this accident, th this young man, he was driving uh, down the road on his merry way to wherever he was going, probably to vote. And uh, this young lady pulled out right in front of him. And uh, they didn't have a very direct collision, so no one was hurt. The cars weren't uh, too badly damaged. Uh, and, and, and so that, that was very good. We're thankful for that. And because neither of the cars were too badly damaged, she just took off. Uh, she, it was a hit and run. She just took off down the road as fast as her little four-door sedan would allow her to do so. And, and so she just took off. And, and it, was, it was rather exciting for us, a high-speed chase in front of our house. And it, was, it was rather exciting. But fortunately for him, he didn't catch her. Uh, he, he lost her shortly after they took off. I guess her four-door sedan was a little faster than his. And so he came back to park his car in front of our house and just wait in case she came back by in case she lived you know, nearby or something. And uh, as I was going into work uh, that day, I, I went out and told him that we witnessed the accident, if he needed anyone to vouch for him, uh, that she fled the scene after pulling out in front of him, that we could do so. And so I went off to work, and shortly thereafter, the cops came, and, and Amy, uh, since she was still home, went out and, and acted as a witness uh, since she was still there. And we've been getting mail from investigators and, and uh, insurance companies ever since seeking Amy's version of the story and what she saw and all of all of uh, all of that ever since and something happened to us that morning we witnessed their this particular event and therefore we became witnesses we became witnesses and that much we could not change we, we could not change that we were witnesses the question for us after witnessing this accident was not are we witnesses because we we were witnesses but rather what kind of witnesses will we be kind of witnesses will we be? Will we be unfaithful witnesses and, and say nothing at all or, or tell half-truths or, or be vague about what happened? Or, or, or will we be faithful witnesses and testify to what we saw and know to be true? Will we be faithful witnesses? Well, the beginning of the book of Acts tells us of an interaction between the risen Lord Jesus and the apostles. 
He was raised from the dead, and, and he spent 40 days with, with the disciples to teach them about the kingdom of God and to give proof of his resurrection. Now the time had come for him to ascend to heaven and uh, to, to sit at the right hand of God for his coronation as king. And before he goes, he tells them this. This is what he says in Acts 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he ascends to heaven, 10 days later, sends the Holy Spirit. Now the church is empowered to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now in, in light of the fact uh, that, that the call to be witnesses to the ends of the earth and the fact that the book of Acts really never ends, uh, it, it doesn't really end in, in Acts 28. The, the, the 12 apostles and, and, the, and the 150 people were not going to be the people that went to the ends of the earth with the gospel. But we're included in this call to be witnesses here. They, they, you know, the, the, the apostles, the, the, the 150 in the church there, they would no doubt have some substantial travels and extensive travels to bring the gospel to places like Asia and Rome and throughout the Roman Empire. But the call to be witnesses includes us as those who have been filled with the Spirit of God, who know Christ, who know His gospel and the message of His word. You and I are witnesses for Christ because we know we know that He's Lord. We, we know that He's been raised from the dead. We know that the Scriptures attest to these truths. The question is, what kind of witnesses will we be? Will we be unfaithful witnesses or faithful witnesses? And the movement of the book of Acts follows what Jesus laid out here in Acts 1 that we just read. It starts in Jerusalem, but, but due to persecution in Jerusalem, it moves out to all Judea and Samaria, and then moves out to the ends of the earth. And the section of the book of Acts that, that we find ourselves in here in Acts 8 is, is where the gospel just moved out into Samaria. Moved out into Samaria. Now it's moving outside of Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's the, the kind of main thrust of the text here in Acts 8. Uh, in the several chapters surrounding it, is that the gospel moves out to these areas, and as it does, those who are outsiders, those who are excluded, are brought into the family, the promises, the kingdom of God and the new covenant. The Samaritans would have been excluded because they were Samaritans, but because of the gospel, they're indeed brought in. This Ethiopian eunuch would have been excluded because he was a eunuch, but now, because of the gospel, he's brought in. Cornelius in the coming chapters and his family, they would have been excluded because they were Gentiles, but in the gospel, they're brought in. And these two big themes in the book of Acts, outsiders being brought in and the church acting as witnesses, they merge here in Acts 8 beautifully. The, the church is the community of witness, and then these outsiders being brought into the family of God and the kingdom of God. And what could be more relevant for us as a church plant in the city of Dayton here this year? We live in a city filled with outsiders, those who are excluded, those who are ignorant to the promises and grace of God. We live in a city filled with people that don't know that Jesus has come and that he's on the throne and will return again to judge the living and the dead. Our city is filled with people who don't belong, who have no family to identify with. But friends, God has sent us as a community of witness to love our neighbors by telling them these very things. The question is, what kind of witnesses will we be? So let's dig in to see what we can learn from Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch here about being faithful gospel witnesses. Here's what I believe we can glean here and what we must, must pursue growth in in the coming year. So number one, depending on the Spirit. Number two, knowing the scriptures. And number three, declaring the gospel. Depending on the Spirit, knowing the scriptures, declaring the gospel. 
So due to this persecution in Jerusalem, many believers scattered into surrounding cities and, and nations. And, and one of the deacons in the church in Jerusalem, Philip, ends up in Samaria. And there, Philip preaches the gospel in Samaria. The Holy Spirit effectually called many Samarian, Samaritans to himself through the proclamation of his words, like Billy Graham-style revival. Just tons of people come to know Jesus. And, uh, and Philip doesn't really follow the typical pattern we see in the book of Acts. In Paul's missionary trips, we, we see if, if, if he sees this type of response to the gospel that Philip saw in Acts 8 here, he would set up shop, he would raise up leaders, install elders, plant a church. And that's the ordinary strategy for kingdom advancement in the book of Acts. But we see something a little different happen here. Instead, God sends an angel to Philip, and he tells him to go to the middle of nowhere, this, this desert land where no one would have lived for miles and miles. And when Philip arrives to this appointed location, the text says that the Spirit told Philip to go over and join this chariot that he sees driving down the road. And amazingly, in this middle of nowhere, probably no one around for miles, perfectly timed by the Holy Spirit, this man is in this chariot reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. Philip asks his man if he knows what he's reading, and he preaches the gospel to him and baptizes him. So one of the most striking things we see as we read the story is that this is the Holy Spirit's doing. He's the one at work here. He's the one leading. He's the one directing the situation. He's orchestrating this incredible event that we see the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch here. Philip, Philip is kind of like a blind man being led by a guide here. He doesn't know why he's doing this or what exactly he's going to do or, or, or what's going to happen, how this is all going to turn out. He just knows, go to the desert, go to the chariot. The Spirit is the one at work here. Philip simply joins the Spirit in what he's doing, and he remains dependent upon the Spirit as he moves. And that's exactly where I want us to be as a community of witness, as a church plan. And the question for us is, is not, how can we get a bunch of stuff done for Jesus in the city of Dan? The question for us is, is not, how can we make something happen here, anything like that? The question we want to ask and, and figure out here is, is, as city groups, as a church, as families, as, as individuals, what we, we want to ask, what is the Holy Spirit up to, and how can we join Him? How can we join Him in what He's doing? What is He doing in the city of Dayton? What is he doing in our neighborhoods? What, what is he doing in our place of employment? Who is he working in at your place of employment? Who is a new believer? Someone wrestling with possibly becoming a Christian that you can walk alongside with and join with and, and, and join the work of the Spirit. Making stuff happen as a church is exhausting. Just continually spin our wheels if that's what we're doing here. That's not what we're called to do. Rather, we want to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing here. How can we join you? We want to remain dependent upon him for how we can join him in what he's doing. And as we see that, that Philip is, is called to go to the middle of nowhere in this desert place that literally has no one living in it, we see that, that what the Spirit is doing is not always exactly what we would expect. I mean, for us recently, uh, we, we didn't really ever plan on having like a Kettering city group um, and, and that engages with students on UC campus. But literally in two weeks, we're going to start a Kettering City group that engages with students on UD campus. We, we didn't plan on doing it, but the reason that that's happening is because the Spirit was moving. We have a large group of people that live in Kettering. We have competent leadership there that can take on the role of city group leaders. 
So we're trying to follow the Lord's leading and starting a city group in Kedron. At the same time, uh, the Lord was uh, connecting the city group leadership with what was going on in the UD campus and, and uh, these, these movements that are going on there. And so uh, we, we, we're, the city group is going to be focusing on, on loving and serving and sharing the gospel with UD students. We didn't plan on doing that. The Spirit just started to move, and we want to join Him with what He's doing. And I want to encourage all of our families and all of our city groups and, and us as a church family to have the same posture, have the posture of asking and perceiving where is the Holy Spirit at work and how can we join him as his people and what he's doing. This is, this is his world. This, this is his world. We don't have to make things happen. We don't have to win the world for Jesus because it already belongs to him. He's already at work in the world. The, the Father is the creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. The, the Spirit is present and, and moving and working, authoritatively working in this world. The question for us is not how can we start a new work for Jesus in our homes, neighborhoods, and city. The question for us is what is God doing and how can we join him? That's the assumption of Philip in the story. The Holy Spirit is at work. I just want to join him and be obedient. So we must listen to the Holy Spirit in our life as, as witnesses in God's world. We must depend upon the Spirit. Now, I'm also very aware of the dangers and abuses that can come with exhorting people uh, to, to listen to the Holy Spirit and, and depend on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's not that rare that people have excused disobedience to the scriptures by saying that the Spirit spoke to them, or an even bigger scale, like cults and sects of, of Christianity have started this way. And so it's imperative that we also, and this brings us to our second point, we need to know the Scriptures. We need to know the Scriptures. Because really, the, the Spirit's real promptings in the Bible are never opposed to one. If, if the question is, should we make disciples by evangelizing, preaching the Bible, practicing baptism in the Lord's Supper, and in prayer, the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes, because the Bible, which, our, which is our final, our highest authority, says that we're to do those things. And the Holy Spirit would never tell us to not do those things, because the Holy Spirit loves the Great Commission. He loves the Bible. He inspired it. He, he wrote it. He has chosen the means by which we are to make disciples and communicated that to us in the Scriptures. It's, the, the Bible is His book. He wrote it. He would never tell us to do anything that contradicts the Bible or to be disobedient to it ever. So you don't need an angel to appear from you to, to you from heaven or, or give you a grand vision uh, or the spirit to give you a prompting, although any of those things can definitely happen. But you don't need those things to happen to know that you need to be on mission evangelizing and making disciples. The Bible is clear. That's what we're called to as Christians. Philip, Philip was already doing this in his everyday mundane life, routine life. He did this in Samaria, and we didn't see any angel commanding him to go to Samaria or, or beckon, the Spirit beckoning him to go there. We actually see him flee to Samaria because persecution was forcing him out of his city. So Philip did, did not need some extravagant vision to know that he should go preach the gospel in Samaria because the word of God is clear, and if that's where he finds himself, that's what he needs to do there. That's what we're called to do as witnesses for the gospel. So that's one reason, as, as witnesses sent by the Spirit of God, we need to know the scriptures. But we also see some other reasons in this text that we, that we as witnesses, need to know the scriptures. It says that as the Ethiopian, picking it back up in verse 28, as he was returning, seated in his chariot, that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, 
How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Again, we kind of see the spirit just dropping this one in Philip's lap. Philip goes over to the chariot, hears this eunuch reading the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asks him, do you, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, I have no idea. Please help me. Who is this about? And Philip teaches this man the Bible. And here's the thing. As you live as a witness for Christ, you will need to know the scriptures. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the vast majority of people who have rejected the gospel have no idea what the Bible says or what it's about. Many, many have either never read it or completely misunderstood it. And, and understand, they won't become followers of Jesus because you're really cool or, or you're a really nice person. That's, that's not why people come to follow Jesus. They, they come, God saves people through his proclaimed word. And we're the ones that he has called to communicate God's word to those who have never heard it before. This, this book, the Bible's God's voice. It's God's revealed word to us. It's God communicating to us about himself, about his work, and, and who he is, his identity. It's God's voice telling us about himself. This book is the power and the authority that on which we stand as God's witnesses on the earth. So do we believe that? Do we, do we believe that this is truly God's word, that, that, that it's the power of God for salvation, that it's the wisdom of God revealed to us, that it, that it stands above human reasoning and all other authorities? Because truly the best way to evangelize and to defend the Christian faith when, when it's uh, contradicted is simply by speaking and sharing scriptures, the voice of God himself. So I want, to, I want to encourage you to simply read your Bible. Get to know your Bible. Learn more about who God is and what it looks like to follow Him. Make 2017 the year that you devote yourself wholeheartedly to knowing and understanding God's Word. This could be as simple as just waking up 15 minutes earlier and reading the Bible. Spending that extra 15 minutes going through a book of the Bible. This also looks like reading the Bible with other people. Notice here that the eunuch needs help understanding the Bible. He has no clue how to interpret it, who Isaiah is talking about, what it's all about. Maybe this is you, and that's, that's okay. That's okay. So I, I want to encourage you, if you don't even know where to start with the Bible, read the Bible with other people. Read the Bible with another person in your city group. Read the Bible with your city group, with your, your cohort. This text shows us the importance of reading the Bible in community. God has ordained that his truth is communicated to us, not only in Bible reading alone, but by Bible reading in the context of the church, where we help one another understand the scriptures and obey the scriptures under the guidance and, and authority of the local church. So if you're not attending uh, corporate worship and, and sin, sitting under the proclamation of God's word every week, if you're not regularly reading and studying the Bible with another believer or other believers regularly, without question, you are missing out on a vital element of the Christian life. 
We need others to understand the Bible because every single one of us, we come to the Bible with our preconceived notions and ideas and biases that affect our understanding of the text. We need pastoral leadership to help us to understand and obey and have our affections stirred by the Bible. The church family, the covenant community, is the God-willed context in which we receive the gracious and beautiful gift of learning from and teaching others. We do this with one another because we need one another. Now, this text doesn't just show us what we're supposed to know about and, and, and teach the Bible out others. It also gives us a little glimpse on how to interpret the Bible. We see Ethiopian, the, the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, about whom I ask, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And so the eunuch asked, who is this scripture about? What does Philip tell him? He gives him the good Sunday school answer. This scripture is about Jesus. It's, it's about Jesus. It's the, if you never know the answer to the question at church, that's a safe bet. It's about Jesus. Who is the one that was led like a sheep to the slaughter? It's Jesus. Who was the one who was like a, a lamb silent before its shear? It's Jesus. Who was the one who, who opened not his mouth, who was humiliated, and who had justice denied him, whose life was taken from the earth? It was Jesus. Jesus was slaughtered. Jesus was silent. Jesus was humiliated and denied justice. It's all about Jesus. That's who Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah chapter 53. It's talking about Jesus. So Philip opens up the scriptures. He opens up his mouth, and he declares the gospel of the grace and cross of Jesus. Brings us to our third point. As witnesses for Jesus, we're called to declare the gospel. Just like Philip opened his mouth, he opens his mouth, and beginning with the scripture text from Isaiah 53 that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, he tells the eunuch the good news about Jesus. Philip opens his mouth. None of this preach the gospel of necessary use words stuff. None of that. We're, we're called, of course, we're called to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, our characters to be worthy of the gospel, but we're called to open our mouths, to listen to the Spirit and, and obey the Scriptures and preach the gospel, to preach the gospel. The Scriptures command us to preach the gospel, and the Spirit empowers us to preach the gospel. In fact, there's not one instance in the book of Acts where Luke speaks of the Spirit filling someone, and they don't preach the gospel. Spirit-filledness leads to gospel proclamation. Spirit-filledness leads to obedience to the Scriptures to proclaim the gospel. As, as Paul says in Romans 10, 13-14, he says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching the gospel, declaring the gospel is necessary. God has ordained that his people will begin to trust him when they hear the gospel. And they will hear the gospel when it is declared. That's why Philip opens his mouth and declares the gospel. And that's why we must do so as well. To get a clear picture of what's going on here, we need to learn a few things about this, this Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, he was obviously from Ethiopia, which in those days would have been located in what's uh, modern-day northern Sudan and southern Egypt. We see in verse 27 that he traveled to Jerusalem to worship, which is over 500 miles from where he would have lived. This particular gentleman, he was, he was well, he was traveling in a chariot, uh, which 
a, a chariot would have been like a Bentley in those days. This was traveling in luxury, but nonetheless, traveling in a chariot still, 500 miles in those days, it would have been hard work. It would have been a, a hard trip, especially when you consider the fact that this man, when he arrived in Jerusalem to worship, to go to the temple to worship, he was turned away at the gate. He was not allowed to enter into the temple. He would have been kept back from entering into the assembly of God's people. Notice that, that Luke greatly emphasizes something about this man. He emphasizes that he's a eunuch. He simply calls him eunuch, and he says that several times. He, he, doesn't, he, he, he seems to emphasize that above all the other aspects of his identity, that he is a eunuch. He refers to him as the eunuch over and over again. He's telling us something. He's telling us that this man had been castrated. In those days, it was mandatory that all the men working under the queen of Ethiopia were to be castrated. And so this man, as her, as her treasure, was castrated. And in Deuteronomy 23.1, it says that no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So no castrated men are allowed to enter the temple or assemble with God's people. He would have traveled all that way to be turned away at the temple. That's not where the story ends, because of the Holy Spirit orchestrating this wonderful story here. Though it would have been incredibly rare for someone to get a hold of a scroll like this in those days, you know, there were no printing presses. They weren't mass-producing the Old Testament in those days and, and selling copies at the temple. Nothing like that was going on. They were not mass-producing it. But this guy, he's, he's wealthy, he's got connections, he somehow gets a hold of this scroll, the prophet Isaiah. And so it's odd that he would get a hold of one of these scrolls, but even more odd that he would specifically get a hold of the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Because as we see in this text, he's reading Isaiah 53. And that means that he would have already read Isaiah 52, where the prophet tells of a time when God will sprinkle many nations. And he's about to get into Isaiah 54, where the prophet tells of a time to come when God will expand his tent, expand his tabernacle, the place of his dwelling, the place of his presence, to include many nations. And then in Isaiah 56, 3-5, it gets very interesting. The prophet tells of a time when foreigners, those who aren't Jews, Gentiles, will be brought in and no longer separated from the people of God. And in 4 and 5, of Isaiah 56, verses 4 and 5, it says that God will give eunuchs, eunuchs, those who have been castrated, those who have had their testicles crushed, he will give them a monument and a name in his house better than sons and daughters, meaning I will give them a name better than Israelites. So this is the thing that, he's, that, that, that he was told that kept him from God's presence. This is the thing that he was told kept him from assembling with God's people in the temple. It's, but he's told here from Philip, from the prophet Isaiah, that it's no longer a barrier because of the silent and slaughtered lamb that we read about in Isaiah 53. What would have kept him from entering into the holy place no longer keeps him from entering into the holy place. What would have kept him from, from assembling with God's people and being one of God's people is no longer an issue because of the lamb who was slaughtered and silent before its shear. 
because he was denied justice and, and gives his life as a ransom for many. This, because of that, this Ethiopian eunuch is allowed in, and much better than entering into a temple, he becomes a temple of God's presence himself. Because of the, the humiliation of Jesus, this eunuch is placed in a position of honor of having a name better than sons and daughters. He's united to God and to his people through Christ. And nothing, no deformity, no sin, nothing in his past can keep him from God and Christ. He doesn't need to go to the Jerusalem and go, go to the temple in Jerusalem because the Lamb secures and sanctifies him as a temple. This is good news for the Ethiopian eunuch, and it's good news for us here this morning. You sort of see the eunuch hesitant to believe it at first. It's almost too good to be true. When Philip declares the good news about Jesus to him, the eunuch asks, here's water. What, what prevents me from being baptized? What, what prevents me from entering into this new covenant? What prevents me from being united to God and his people? Notice the language he uses here. What would prevent me from, from being baptized and entering into this covenant? What, 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 what would prevent me? Just like I was prevented from entering into the temple and assembling with God's people. The answer is nothing. Nothing because of Jesus Nothing. Understand, if, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. Every barrier between you and God is torn down in Christ Jesus. Every barrier is torn down because of the grace and the cross of Jesus. Everything that stood in the way is no match for our Savior. Not the sins you've committed, not the long list of reasons why God could never use or love someone like you. Not any deformity, not any weakness, nothing can stand in the way. God is overwhelmingly for you in Christ Jesus. God has broken down every barrier that stood in the way. Friends, this is, this is good news for us. And this is good news for the people of the city of Gate. Whether they know it or not, we, we live in a city, people alienated from one another, alienated from God. We live in a city filled with people who are, who are alienated from God because of their sin. We live in a city with people alienated from one another because of race or socioeconomic status or, or subculture or many other things that keep them alienated from one another. But the good news is that God has broken down every barrier. He has reconciled us to himself and reconciled us to one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 12-14 tells us about this very thing. Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. People in our city need to hear this. They need to hear about God's love for them in Christ Jesus. They need to hear that in Christ every barrier to the, between them and God is torn down. They need to hear that they have access to a just and gracious God in Christ Jesus. And we're the ones that God has sent to tell them this good news, to proclaim this gospel. 
He takes messed up people like you and me, like Philip in this unit, and he makes us his own. He gives us names better than sons and daughters, and he saves us from our sins and saves us to send us as witnesses to declare the gospel that so radically saves. I'm convinced that we don't share this message. We're slow to share this message because it doesn't wow us like it should. That ultimately, our, our issues of living as faithful witnesses don't arise because our methods are bad or, or because we haven't figured out the right way to say this or say that, but because we aren't being affected by the gospel like we should be. That the name of Jesus isn't on our lips because it isn't filling our hearts like, the, like it should. Our, our hearts aren't stirred by him. That this message hasn't been announced from our mouths because it doesn't fill our house. We're, we're out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So my prayer for us in 2017 is that we be a people that are wowed by Jesus. That we be a people that have hearts filled with joy, the hearing of the gospel, that Jesus is sweet to our ears and sweet on our lips. And so we love to speak. We love to tell other people about Jesus because he's so sweet, so precious, so beautiful, so wonderful to us. That's, it's good news for us here this morning. There's good news for the Ethiopian unit on this desert road in the first century. There's good news for you here this morning. Listen, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christ's humiliation is our justification. His death is our life. And that because he opened not his mouth, he went to the cross silently, we need to, like Philip, open our mouths and be faithful witnesses. Let's pray together. Father, um, do you make your proclaimed word effectual in our hearts? Would you sanctify us in your truth? Your word is truth. So would you help us now to receive, to submit to you? As we go from here, not, not to just be hearers of the word, but to, to be doers also. Would you work in us and, and, and conform us more and more to the image of your Son by the power of your Spirit? Lord, um, would you help us in turning into this new year to not see Jesus as useful, to not see Jesus as, as a means to another one, but would you help us to see Jesus beautiful, like you would see glorious, like you wow our hearts? Would you astonish us? Would you put us in awe of the gospel of grace and reveal to us in Christ? Lord, would you do these things in the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you help us to be dependent upon him, to listen to him, to, to follow his guidance? Would you empower us then also to, to, to study, to know, to meditate upon the scriptures? Would you help us to be faithful in declaring the gospel? This is so good so wonderful. Okay, we need you for these things. So you work in this in Jesus' name.